So how, on God's gray earth, did this... Tours and Outliers, the podcast where we take a closer look at that one album that sticks out like a sore thumb in an artist's discography. Might be their best album, it might be their worst album, but either way, it's that one album where the artist was so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. This week on the panel we have... Logan Renard. Matthew Marr. My name's Scott Livingston, just a... Quick reminder, we do have a Facebook group. We have over 200 members, so come say hi. We have a Twitter account and an Instagram account, and I think they are useful for things. And um, we would appreciate it if you rate, review, and subscribe on like Stitcher and uh, Podbean and uh, Apple and uh, Spreaker. I don't know. Wherever you're listening to this. Um Anyway, this week in the uh, cave with us, grooving with a picked, is our very special guest, Rick Thompson. Uh, say hello to the peoples. Hello to the peoples. And um, this week we will be discussing Amugama by uh, <laughs> Amugama. Is that how it's pronounced? Amugama. Amugama. Amugama by Pink Floyd. Amugama. Amugama. Umaguma. Umaguma. Scott, has that blacklight poster always been on the wall there? Well, yes, yes, since I graduated from uh, high school. Just noticing it now. So, for those who are um, unfamiliar with Pink Floyd, they're that band that um, is the star of every blacklight poster in your uh, college dorm room. Two out of three. Two out of three. The the others are Bob Marley and uh, Cindy Crawford. The, Cindy, the odd Madonna Cindy Crawford one. had a blacklight poster. <laughs> well, I, you don't want to turn the blacklight on that poster, but that's a whole other issue. But I guess that, that does sort of segue into um, Pink Floyd is best known as the um, stoner prog rock, very well produced, very commercially successful band from the seventies. 
<laughs> Some may also know Pink Floyd, though not as many as the um, really psychedelic, uh, trippy, hippy dippy band from the 60s. And this album um, sort of comes in between those two when, you know, original lead singer, songwriter, guitarist uh, Sid Barrett left this earth without um, leaving the planet. And <laughs> the rest of the band was sort of. Um, left to pick up the pieces, as it were, I think. And so the best idea, of course, in that scenario is to just give everyone in the band a quarter of an album and see who wins. So that's Uma Guma. <laughs> um, that's pretty much it. <laughs> there you go. Tune in next week when we... <laughs> All right, thanks for listening. <laughs> no, I guess just start with general thoughts on Pink Floyd and the um, transition from... Uh, the well-known or the less well-known to the more well-known. Well, just so uh, I, I want to make a quick comment. Um, I'm going to hold this up to the microphone so everyone can hear it. This is a original vinyl recording of Amagama or Umaguma, however you prefer. Amagama. Use your uh, English accent to um, interpret the correct pronunciation. Um, I bought this album uh, as, a, uh, as a teenager, and it has two LPs in it. It even says there, Two complete LPs, and one of them, one of them is a live recording, which which um, I thought was exceptional. I really enjoyed it. I still enjoy it a lot. The other album was um, something altogether different, mm -hmm. as Scott has described. You know, very uh, um, individualistic uh, recordings from um, each of the four members. And um, I listened to it once, and I put it back into this sleeve. It has not come out again. <laughs> Uh, so, so, uh, but I have listened to it, you know, on, on CD and the like, but, um, um, I think that my experience, um, you know, perhaps I'm a little bit stuck up. I don't know, but, um, I, I think is, is, uh, similar to what a lot of Pink Floyd fans experienced. Like, uh, w what is this? I was actually going to say something very similar because when I first got this album, uh, I was probably 14 or 15 as well, except that. I'm a little younger than you, so I bought it on CD, and I listened to the second CD or whatever it was, and I think I listened to it maybe twice since then until we started talking about this, and then, but I've come to appreciate it for what it is now. Yeah. Because I tried to think of it in a broader sense of the entire Pink Floyd catalog of, as you mentioned, Scott, a band that had to pick up the pieces after Sid Barrett. Uh, went a little crazy, okay. and uh, yeah. and how do you how do you go from your main singer songwriter genius guy going crazy and leaving the band and going oh great now how do we write songs and yeah your front man your songwriter your lead <coughs> singer yeah and, and yeah. Uh, you know half half the songs on the live album uh, part of Amagama are um, are Sid Barrett tunes yeah this mm -hmm. kind of feels like them saying we've done all we can with Sid Barrett we've got to move on. Who's got a better idea? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And um, I don't know if the best idea was to send everyone off into their own separate corner and then, you know, weld four solo EPs into a, an album, but that's what they decided to do. I, I do want to say, though, that uh, just as, as far as in a more general Pink Floyd sort of way, my, my favorite of all the Pink Floyd stuff is is um and perhaps this is just me being a contrarian it's all the stuff that came out before dark side of the moon yeah. i thought i thought dark side of the moon was a high point and they certainly did good stuff after that but the stuff before was always way more cutting edge 
And 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 uh, I agree with you, Rick, that listening back to these tunes, um, if you want to call them that, that <laughs> tunes is broad. They yes. definitely they definitely were still. It was pushing that experimental envelope. I, I think the experiment didn't quite. Um, you know, work out well, as, as yeah. well as some of their other stuff had, had worked out. But, but still those seeds of what's to come right, are yeah. still in there, which I, I found interesting listening to it. So I guess that's Absolutely. one way to look at it is later. of the four pieces, which one won? Who got to take control of Pink Floyd after this album? Depends on who you ask in Pink Floyd. Right? <laughs> it depends on, yeah, what year you're talking to. I, I hear it was the furry animals. Yeah. <laughs> That is um the small mammals. <laughs> that is a good. That is a good. Good. You know what? You know, as we listen to it, we'll have to maybe maybe we'll um, change our opinions. Uh, yeah. If I if I had to pick off the top of my head, if there's a winner in this, and this could be a little bit of um, looking backwards. Yeah. Uh, it was um, it's Roger Waters that his stuff seems to be more um, yeah. compelling. And musical, musical, and uh, as well uh, from I, I read a little blurb that the uh, I guess the David Gilmour parts that he asked Waters to write some lyrics for him and Waters wouldn't do it. No, apparently they were very strict. No one could be on the other person's part, so that's why the drumming is really crappy until you get to the last quarter. And yeah, isn't that a weird, a weird thing? We're a band, but you are not allowed to play. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it, it's an interesting experiment. Why they released it, I don't understand, but you know. It was a good idea to sort of get the creative juices flowing because, I you know, the first album was definitely Sid's project, and the second album was them trying to copy Sid since Sid was less available, and this was them you know having milked the the Adam Hart mutter dry, <laughs> um, trying to figure out what to do next. So yeah, I mean, we can take a, a brief moment to talk about the live album. This isn't this is one of the few double albums that's half live half studio and it's an odd beast just in that sense you uh, two of the things that i i really liked about the live album is one i was a little bit um surprised at this uh that that um you know a lot of rock albums when you hear the live album there's always a very loud and annoying audience track, yeah. you know, playing along the line. And it seems like, you know, either yeah. no one was there with them or or the audiences were, were very into the music because yeah. they're quiet when they're playing. Or they just and, weren't and, mic'd. Or they weren't mic'd, right? Yeah. But but also also uh, Pink Floyd, especially especially back then, they had a lot of dynamics in their music that was atypical for a lot of rock and roll bands. And and uh, if you're if you're screaming and hollering, you're gonna miss half the show. Yeah. So so you had to pay attention. So it was more of a, uh, um, it was more of a, it was a more reserved audience, I guess, in in that sense. Um, but but I also was was pretty amazed, uh, at least as a you know as a teenager when I first heard it, is a, uh, you know they're they're pulling off this this um, uh, sort of. Um, atmospheric kind of music and they're very patient to let it develop and it's it's really yeah there are only four songs on that live album and because each one is you know between eight and 15 minutes a piece but you know and wasn't it their only live album until like yeah the 80s or maybe even 90s um, you know after a momentary lapse of reason or something yeah completely yeah there was no evidence of their was, other yeah. than bootlegs there was no evidence <laughs> of their they're the, being alive, right? Their live prowess. Yeah. yeah. Well, there was no. There, there was, was the movie. Yeah, there the, was the uh, movie. The um, live at Pompeii. Live at Pompeii, right? But I guess as far as a album, Pulse. 
Yeah, but that was 94 or something yeah, like that's that. It's, it's a totally <laughs> different band by then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's that? Isn't Tony Levin on that or is that Division Bell? Uh, I think that's... No, Division Bell was Guy Pratt okay. on the yeah. bass. So like this, yeah, and that's another thing too, is that this was back when it was four guys and there were four guys that made the music, right? It that was it. And it, a... And a, a fifth guy who had an overhead projector and you know right, right, lights right, right. well this yeah. this connects with uh, rick's profession here but i think i don't know if pink floyd uh uh called themselves this but they were very self-indulgent and it kind of goes with you know uh, self indulgent. <laughs> no, no, no. Like Rick, uh, the Primus has famously said in oh, modern oh. times that they are the most self indulgent band ever. <laughs> and, you know, Primus sure looks up to Pink Floyd a whole lot. They definitely but, do. But uh, um, I think, I mean, even in Live at Pompeii, where they're, you know, they're sitting around talking about how they want to be rich rock stars and stuff, they, they would just, this. The second half of this album is like a crowdsourcing failure. Yeah. Like they <laughs> Like they really were like there's I mean there's some great artistry in this band but you can also see how they are just like kind of industrialized in making weird rock and roll music and right. we, we'll just try anything to see and uh yeah, they tried this. Yeah. yeah. In its way, it's almost like that uh, Who album we did, a quick one. Oh yeah, yeah, it's where they force you know Keith Moon to try and write something, and right. he comes up with cobwebs and strange, and they go, okay, yeah, don't let the drummer write ever again. <laughs> well, and Roger didn't even write a song. <laughs> yeah. but, but in defense of Uma Gumma, which is what I'm going to call it. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think the uh, the the Nick Mason thing is. Pretty good, considering they gave the drummer a song, you know? <laughs> Not I'm just like, a song. They're like, 15 minutes, yeah, you figure I'm like, it out. I'm like, okay, this goes somewhere. This is this is, this is Better music. than most drum solos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and it's apparent, too, that they... they uh, it, I, I think it comes across that they weren't just sort of, um, you know... I don't know how old they were when this was recorded, but they they weren't. It wasn't just teenage hacks trying to come up with something. All of these guys, they had they had some chops. They had some musical ability. Yes, you know, to to one degree or another, either in terms of songwriting or in terms of, uh, you know, just being able to play their instruments well. And I, I think you know that that's certainly there. But but again, though, there's an awful lot of musicians that can play their instruments well, and um, that's not necessarily enough to. Yeah, most of them don't have access to the um, Abbey Road tape library to um, screw around with indefinitely. <laughs> That's yeah. true. Well, shall we dive into track number one? Or, Well, that's another odd thing is because you get the vinyl, each person only gets one track, but you get the CD and each track is broken up into parts, like a classical yeah, album or something. So we're going to do it by is it broken part. Up on? Yeah, it's like band one. A, band one, B, you know. We'll start with Sisyphus, part one, which is uh, Richard Wright gets to start. Why? I don't know, but. This was his idea. Yes, he it? wanted them to make serious music. Serious music. But I guess he didn't think that. Ten uh, Commandments soundtrack. <laughs> it's. I was going to say, this reminds me of a soundtrack, and I've been, I've been trying to remember like I've been looking all over like what does this remind me of it's like and I think it's like a whole bunch of vaguely yeah. 60s 70s 
sci-fi, fantasy kind of soundtracks. It reminds me of um, the Flash Gordon soundtrack, which of course came out years later. Yeah. But it has that same sort of flavor. Unmute the Thurman track. Yes. (laughs) They got lots of timpani on this album. So. But. It, so, in their, what am I, how, well, help me say this. Since this reminded me of a soundtrack, it reminded yeah. me that the album before this was more, which was a soundtrack. Yes. And then, like, two albums later was another soundtrack called uh, Scared by Clouds, right? Or was yeah. that three albums later? I forget. Eventually, but, yes. They, <clears throat> well, so, it's a good way for them to stretch out without feeling yeah. as obligated to make a real album album. So. But it made me think that, like... As much as this isn't so hard to listen to on its own, if you were to put this in a movie... Yeah, behind an appropriate scene. Yeah, like I think it, it would, would, work. It would yeah. be pretty good. Yeah, you it's, know? V- it's very dramatic. Yes. Yeah, it, it definitely paints a picture. Well, shall we go on to part two of part Sisyphus? Two. Sisyphus is pushing that rock up that hill, right? Is yes. that Sisyphus? Yeah, that's... Yeah, yeah. Only to have it fall back down again. That's right. So this this part reminded me a little of Andrew WK. It does. <laughs> really? Wow. Well, yeah, oh, the, the Andrew WK album we covered, which is oh. solo improv piano, which piano, is yeah. it's sort of like this. You know, you can someone who knows what they're doing, but doesn't have to do anything specific. So, I mean, it's pretty. And then it gets a little more... Um, disjointed as he gets bored i think so it was wright's idea for this whole yes although all four of them have disowned the album since it oh, came yeah. out yeah well the, the uh i've heard more than one of the floyds yeah the pinks more than one of them uh you know use the expression that you know the sum is greater than the parts and this is proof of that yes yeah welcome to parts yes <laughs> But as far as this goes in their development as a band, like you can hear how Richard Wright can take like, uh, what am I trying to say? He can paint that picture and pop it into, like he's really good at crafting, like the beginning of Welcome to the Machine or, you know, those... those, Pretty much everything on animals. Everything on animals is a perfect example, yeah. It's kind of a shame that, you know, between... Gilmore and uh, the other guy, Waters. <laughs> Waters. <laughs> that you know, Richard Wright didn't really get as much of a creative say because yeah. you know, yeah. I don't know. Of the four parts, I might like his the best actually. Well, I think he got, if I remember my Floydian lore. Yeah. Didn't uh, Roger Waters kind of stifle his creativity a lot? Yeah, he was sort of the George Harrison yeah. trying to sneak in between Paul and John. Yeah, I, I think um, some of that... <clears throat> apparently there was a lot of you know personality conflicts in that band in, <gasps> in general. Yeah, you would have been surprised. <laughs> but um, um, but uh, I guess uh, uh, Waters had it in for him a bit because I guess he had the feeling that uh, Wright was always looking down on him because Waters couldn't write music yeah. and wasn't professionally trained yeah. you know and uh, I think uh, so there was a lot of um, what ego budding right you know you feel inferior to somebody so you try to knock them down a peg 
weird because I think Roger Waters wrote like every single one of their hits, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, he he becomes the uh, the uh, the he, he he takes over for for um, Sid Barrett essentially. Yeah. He, even he though, wins. Even though, even though Gilmore becomes the front man, right? Yeah. The, the lead singer. For yeah. The um, although they all sang. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure how much Nick Mason sang. Yeah, he but. might not have sung. That, that's true. But, uh, but the, any anytime you hear harmonies, it's usually Richard Wright and yeah. David Gilmore. Yeah. yeah. Those aren't that that duet between Gilmore and Richard Wright on um, Echoes. Oh, that's is just. Yeah, that's brilliant. Oh. That, and that's that. I think that of of all of their albums, that's my favorite one. Yeah. I think. Oh man. But um, not lost in the river. Lost in the river. <laughs> What is Speaking that? of Richard Wright, that was the last one they did oh, just was, like uh, three en- years ago. En- Endless River. Oh, Endless oh, River. Endless no, River. I, I got it. Like, like uh, uh, I look. Um, if it if it floats your boat, I do not mean to you know disparage anything, but it's like uh, after after the wall, I think that band pretty much ended, and yeah. whatever whatever happened afterwards is not really. It's something different from from yeah. what what Pink Floyd had been. Well, uh, you, the final cut yeah. is as more of a solo album than this is. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 In fact, we could have done the final cut as a. Outlier. That is true in its own way. Yeah. So we try part three. Part three, which is completely this is, different from this one. Yeah. Very angular. There's stereo picture. Now I heard. Now I'm not sure if this was before or after this, but they they had um for a while they were thinking of making an album out of using found sounds instead of actual instruments. Yeah, like household appliances and right, stuff. Right, right, yeah. like, you know, banging on a garbage can for a for a symbol or something. Yeah. I think that came a lot later, though. It is, yeah. yeah. And, but, I think it's right tr- before Pink, uh, before Dark Side of the before Moon, Dark Side, and they yeah, decided yeah. to, hey, let's make some Although, money. Although, you know what? I just found this out the other day. The the big opening chord of, uh, of uh, Shine On Your Crazy Diamond. Right. That's wine glasses that they played for that album of Found Sounds. Well, there you go. So, so they were able to. So, yeah. so probably endless hours of experimentation resulted in that. In that in one chord, yeah, three beginning. seconds. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but how great does that sound, right? Right. But unlike this, which doesn't sound that great. No, there's there's cats screeching in the background, <laughs> and it took me a while to realize no, those are not in my neighborhood. Those are on the CD. Although, although this is. More interesting, I think. Yeah. See again, if this was like uh, a movie soundtrack, okay. This is like some scary thing. Yeah. I don't know. Chase scene or something. Chase scene. Yeah. You also don't know where it's gonna go. Like if this is like some weird fella cootie break or something, you know it's gonna bust out into something really, or Sun Ra or something. It's gonna get groovy eventually. But we know pretty well, having just listened to the other ones, that it's it not gonna doesn't. get groovy. In fact, there it is. There you go. <laughs> I wonder how much my appreciation of the uh, Richard Wright quarter is just the fact it came first, and I wasn't like burned out by the time I they reorganized it's a, it's a war of attrition. The, yeah. Well, I, I think that there is a. I mean, I think the movements as they they spelled them out, it does make sense. He is trying to create a suite of something. Yes, I mean, it is far more intentional than say um, the next quarter, shall we say, which felt like you know. A solo album under duress, much like um, mm. Peter Chris's solo album. Yeah. <laughs> but this is um, this is part four. Part four. Part four. The the final part, 
where the the rock is so, rolling so what, back down. Or what year, yeah. got his groove back. What year was this put out? Uh, sixty nine, like late sixty nine. So late sixty nine. It's like wow. Yeah. They, so it really is on the cusp between their sixties psychedelic period and their seventies cocaine period. And they are um, they're they're definitely ahead of the curve in a lot of ways. Yes. Um, Maybe this is Sisyphus leaning against the rock that just rolled back. Maybe the last yeah. part was the rock rolling, rolling down. Bing, and bing, this bing, is him bing, going, bing, bing, bing. do I have to push it up? Why does Sisyphus push the rock up? I understand it's torture. It's the futility but, of life or something. Like yes, that. but why does he want to get it up? What is he going to achieve? If he, what does he think he's going to achieve if he gets it to the top? Babes. Babes. That's it. Yep, it's, it's all babes. about. It's always babes. That makes sense. Yep. The, yep. the futility <laughs> of babes. <laughs> babes. That was the subtitle that, that Richard didn't go for. <laughs> a lot less piano on the, the last bit. More, so it? <clears throat> more it's eluding me. I can't remember. What was it? Euripides? Who did Sisyphus? It, was a, it sounds like a Euripides a kind of thing. Someone like that. Uh, a dead Greek. Yeah, a dead Greek. Um, so possibly Anthony Quinn? Yeah. <laughs> Zorba the Greek? Yeah. <laughs> What was that movie he was in where he played like the, the he had like a street act where he'd break a chain on his chest? It's like a. <laughs> if you know, write into Detours and Outliers <laughs> at gmail.com and you will win a Cupid doll. It was a very famous, uh, you know, I can a, see Italian the picture. film. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. Um. <clears throat> yeah. So that's Sisyphus. <laughs> what, yeah, what else this, is there to this, say? This last track is a, is a bit um, anticlimactic, especially given the cacophony of the previous one. Yes. Well, it's, it's, this is like the music they they play when you're getting a massage, but like backwards. <laughs> <laughs> Backward massage music. So it's a happy beginning. <laughs> I think that's the title of my next album: Backward Massage Music. <laughs> Mm, look for it on Enjoy Your Symptom Records coming in 2021. It's a happy beginning. It's a happy beginning. A lot of people pick out one. So you get more tense as the massage goes on. <laughs> you gotta be careful with them. Them strip mall massage parlors, man. <laughs> Oh, ah! <laughs> it's Frankenstein. <laughs> oh, okay. So that was that was Richard Wright's quarter. I don't know if you want to leave that part. <laughs> we'll edit that out. Yeah. Uh, what, what is uh? So who's next? Uh, next we have Roger Waters. Roger. 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 A, a, a cool. Drink of refreshing water. Lanchester <laughs> Meadows. <laughs> the one song he did write. Yeah. Should I just go ahead and say this is probably the best song on this album? Well, it's the most song on this yes. album. <laughs> it's the only song on the album. <laughs> There's some interesting soundscapes and, and other <laughs> ephemera, but this is like the closest to a song, and even that goes on about twice as long as it needs to. Yeah. Belie the deathly silence that lay all around Hear the lark and hearken to the barking of the dark But see, you, you really hear that he's like the best 
lyricist of, between the two guys that wrote lyrics on this True. album. Although I think this may be the only set of lyrics on the whole. No, Gilmore has a few. Had some lyrics, but he sang them really mumbly and quiet yeah. because that's what he does. Well, yeah. He was self-conscious about his lyrics, which is why when he took over Pink Floyd in the 80s, he had somebody else write the lyrics for him. There you go. He knew he couldn't write them. And I can sympathize with that. It's hard to write lyrics. And even probably, you know, Gilmore's biggest Pink Floyd moment is Comfortably Numb, and half of that song is written by Waters. The lyrically, I mean. Yeah. Wait, did Gilmore write any of the lyrics to that, or just... I I think he he wrote the chorus or the verse. I can't remember which one. Oh, okay. One of the two. But um, this this um could have been the inspiration for um, Spinal Tap's Stonehenge. There you go. Oh, how they dance! <laughs> well, this is. I mean, this is Donovan. That's what this is. What's the song on the wall with the Have you seen the frightened ones? I mean, oh yeah, there's a certain melodic, you know, yeah. similarity. Thing is, if you listen really closely to the birds, the bird chirping, I'm pretty it's convinced it's also the exact same tape loop of birds that the Beatles used on their version of Across the Universe. Oh. I mean, you hear them fluttering away and it sounds exactly the same. So it really was the Abbey Road tape library. Yeah, I think so. But he was double tracking the vocals there. That was kind he of. He was, yes. Well, he does not have a strong voice, but it. Works no. well enough. Well, that's the thing is, and, and I uh, look. I I am a huge Pink Floyd fan. I love uh, Roger Waters. I I think he's you know just in terms of musical ability, he is the worst of the group. But yeah. he's also creatively probably you know well a, the best, right? So so that that's just more proof that you need all four of them to make a good mm-hmm. a good record. Yeah. Or, you know, Sid Barrett. Right, or Sid Barrett. <laughs> <laughs> On the other hand, Sid Barrett did write, I've got a bike, you can ride, ride it if you, you like. like <laughs> he's, he's got some, uh, yeah, oh, that's lyrics. The, that, that stuff is... That that's, um, Sid Barrett, the first um, Sid Barrett solo album. Madcap Laughs. The Madcap yeah. Laughs. That, that is still one of my all-time favorite this, listens. This this will say something. I I do own Madcap Laughs. I do not own act, any actual Pink Floyd. Really? I've never there bought. I've wow. not listened to Dark Side of the Moon. I've not listened to The Wall. I just I, noticed your Pink Floyd sucks T-shirt, Scott. Yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> although, although I bet you've heard all of of uh, yeah, Dark well, Side of the Moon. It's and, like rumors. Even if you you know are deaf, you'll have heard all right. of rumors by the time you're 25. Yeah, you yeah, probably yeah, know no no need to buy that. I go out in public. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, you don't own Dark Side of the Moon. No. You're, you're the second person I've ever met that doesn't own that album. I was never a big Pink Floyd fan. Wow. You know? But I got different jokes for you know. It was part of the, you know, I was on Columbia House at the time. I needed a sixth Wow, was that on Columbia House? Yeah. Oh, wow. So that was, I got some odd, uh, yeah. On one of the versions of the Mad Cat Laughs, they have like the rest of the tape and a bunch of outtakes and stuff. There's something like that floating around, and it just sounds like it was the most frustrating thing in the world to 
Randall yeah. said. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've ever hurting cats. Like, yeah, I think, I think it was Waters and, and Gilmore that produced it. Yeah. Because they were trying to reach out to their friend, and it was, yeah. Yeah. There was, he, was, he was gone. <laughs> yeah. Far gone. But, uh, but at least they got the album out. Yeah. Hmm. Well, yeah, now that we've listened to the <laughs> one song that Rogers Waters did, let's listen to the um, way he wasted the rest of his portion of the album. And, and this next song might be the most famous of all of the songs on this album. At least in terms of title. In terms of its title, right. Actually, this was on a Best of Pink Floyd album that came out like 20 years ago, probably. I'm sure a lot but, of people pressed that look. But I bought and I was like, really? That's on here? Okay. And what is the name of this song? This is several species of small furry animals gathered together in a cave and grooving with a Picked. And a Picked for those who don't know, would be those um, ancient Scottish lads that um, were so violent, the Romans just built a wall to keep them out of um, build the rest a wall. of England. So this is someone having fun experimenting with their uh, tape recorder for a good so what, I, I looked this five up. minutes. <clears throat> I had to look this up. Did you get the whole thing about uh, Ronald Geeson or however you say his name? No. <clears throat> so apparently, Roger Waters made an album with this guy Robert Geeson who ended up helping them with the odd Adam Hartmother album after this yeah but they made this album called The Body Matt cue the first track of The Body later in editing because it's a lot like this except it's like body noises it's like farts and burps and stuff and it's awesome and I listened to the whole album and it's not all this like the first track is kind of like this but it's body noises and then it's like this really interesting music after that and I highly recommend that you check it out it's actually really good it's called The Body Roger Waters and Ro- and Ronald Geeson that sounds awesome yeah and seriously check it out I was like I'm gonna listen to the first track and just see what he was thinking and like I listened to the whole thing it was really good there you go so a symphony of burps and farts yeah and you should play some of that when you edit this because it's 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 hilarious yeah I'll try to track that down yeah it's on it's on Spotify <laughs> I found it on Patton was conceived. Oh, so, so that was so. Was that before this? I think it was. Uh, yeah, I think it was or around the same time. So, so, so that, Roger that, got his idea yeah. for this. I think from that. So that reminds me a bit of uh, John Lennon. You know, the White Album, uh, Revolution Nine. Yes. Right? That he was. He, he had learned, Number or he had nine. been listening to this music concrete stuff yeah. or concrete stuff <laughs> with. Uh, whoever yeah um, yeah, and uh, decided to try their own hand at it well it 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 does have a low um bar for entry so if you want to do this all you got to do is be willing to do it the best part of this though is the end with the scottish accent though because that's 
The well, real, it is a pick. Right? It yeah. is a pick. The real question is, can you have your pudding if you haven't had your meat? <laughs> I just not everybody sure. knows you can't eat your pudding. Right, you can't. You don't eat your meat. You can't, can't have, have your pudding. pudding. Yeah, there's pudding and there's meat. Neither one sounds all that appetizing, but yes. <laughs> It, the, I we can't suddenly think got of it with this know. playing in in the in my head right now. Like, how does the pudding meat thing go? What's the ratio <laughs> of pudding to meat? With picks ah, partying picks. in a cave in my head. No, it's Shrek. It's a Shrek. <laughs> it's it's a Shrek. <laughs> my donkey! You can't have any pudding if you don't have your meat. Okay, now tell me if I'm crazy too. At, at the very end, doesn't he say, "And the wind cries merry"? He does. And then okay. apparently, if you play it backwards, he says, "Well, that was pretty avant-garde, wasn't it?" Oh, really? Yes. And the wind cries merry. That's what it sounds like to me. That's what I wrote down in my notes. So, I mean, it's really basically one of them haunted house sound effect CDs you buy around Halloween. I'm not quite sure what you use it for, but I'm using this the next Halloween. There you go. Just on loop. Maybe in the round on different stereos. By the time we get through this, I will have listened to. this as many times as I've listened to metal machine music. Yeah. <laughs> and that's something. I think there may be more words in the title yeah. to this song than there are on the whole second half of the album. So who's next? Who's next? Well, now we've John got Gilmore. Mr. Gilmore and The Narrow Way. There's a lot of acoustic on this album, actually. Yeah. Kind of surprised they didn't go into like a Fairport convention kind of <laughs> acoustic folk rock. Now, see, I think this is really good. Yeah, I like this. Bad. I like this guitar playing. You know? Ah. I mean, go figure. It's David Gilmore. He's he's kind of a hack guitar player. Well, yeah. <laughs> that's well, that's the thing. Is, uh, <laughs> that's what he's good at. Yes. But which is also why you may notice there's not a lot of singing here. Yeah. Well, and I was just gonna say, but this is kind of it. Yeah. It doesn't. That's all it does. Go is. anywhere from here. So. I got beef with Gilmore for uh, encouraging G sus and C sus. So morons. So <laughs> <laughs> suspended chords. You know what you did. I thought that was Pete Townsend. Not as, not quite as friendly as, as, the, as the banker. Is it that people don't know how to use them correctly? Well, just they're just non-committal. They're, they're overkill. Overkill, yeah. Would this be a good time to bring up the um, album cover? Yeah, yeah which awesome. is this yeah. weird. It's a picture of the guys standing next to. A picture of the guys standing next to a picture of the guys, but it's different guys. And they different, fit in there. Yeah. They change positions, like yes. one sitting, one standing, and the next. Is, they swap out, they but swap yeah. Out, yeah. And and you have the American version where the Gigi album cover was cover was right. was airbrushed out or whatever they did. At the time. Right. Well, I did buy this in America. There you go. In the back. In the back. If if no one has ever seen this before. As a, as a 
young aspiring musician who had no real clue what rock music was all about because there was no internet to know these things. Um, there is this uh, glorious display of all of their equipment, which um, arranged in like a triangle pattern or something. Right, and it's just a ton of gear. But at, at the same time, by today's standards, it, it might not be that much. Yeah, but, it's uh, your average really guitar player's pedal board. Yeah, yeah, yeah but, it, <laughs> but still, <laughs> it's, uh, uh, you know, it, it, would, it would have been what they had to haul around with them from college venue to college venue across England, right? You know, yeah. and, you know performing to fans. And Does the gong stay on the roof of the bus? And, and I hope so. They, they, there's a, two of their roadies are standing there. And, you know, what, what band puts pictures of their roadies on their albums? So... Apparently the title Amugama came from one of the roadies <laughs> and his euphemism for uh, love making. Huh. That's Ian Emo Moore. There you go. Was the roadie? It's Where a mama gama. Hey Uma baby, Uma gama. You wanna Uma gama to the Uma gama. Uma gama. Give me some. Yeah, he's got the little flying saucer motif yeah, going on he's, here in this song. He's he's far more comfortable with sound effects than um, lyrics. That was a <laughs> well. I don't think it was right supposed to be. Where did the voices go? In your head. Hey, I'm going to part two. So no more acoustic guitar. We're we're now into full rock band, and this is like the first full rock band moment on yeah, disc two. Satan. Yeah, this is the yeah. This is yeah. Pink, very Pink double, Floyd meets kind of Black thing. Sabbath. When did the first Black Sabbath album come out? Seventy. Seventy. So this was before oh, was it. it. No, yeah. it was earlier than that. Seventy-one, maybe seventy-two. I thought it was late sixties. Am I wrong about that? You could, could have been sixty. Somebody get your phone out. <laughs> the first one to look it up. It's around this time. Yes. <laughs> I gotta say, Logan, I love the pick P bass sound that they that he's got going here. Uh, is this Roger playing bass? No, 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 no it would just be Gilmore. Gilmore. It would be yeah. all Gilmore. All right, yeah. It's even Gilmore playing drums. All right, so Roger is a fantastic bass player. He's stupidly underrated, and it's like just great. You know, very tasty, very efficient, all that good stuff. I wonder with all the I've heard about them giving each other shit about their chops and that Roger caught a lot of flack for that but I wonder how much of album stuff is Gilmore handling bass duties a la you know the clash kind of thing wasn't the uh, the bass solo in Pigs on the Animals wasn't that Gilmore yeah it had to be right that intro yeah yeah. that is the that sounds like Gilmore as far as a guitar album that's their best one, Animals. Oh, yeah. It is. There's so much great guitar it's all over that it's, it's a top top three. That's my probably, favorite yeah. Pink Floyd album ever. <laughs> That's such a but, good But this, this exposes a lot of the... I mean, he's obviously... Uh, I mean, he was doing... I guess he and Sid were pretty close. They had been doing a lot of this echo with the slide business for quite a while. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I don't think, you know, Gilmore was just mimicking Sid Barrett here, but he definitely went... You know, an Echoplex and a Strat with a slide. Well, um, there's a whole section like this in metal. In metal, yeah, yeah. So this is like you were saying. This is yeah. like a. This is sort of the nascent form of what's gonna. Yes. What's gonna come? This is the most like what Pink Floyd will be becoming. 
Yeah. Black Sabbath came out in 1970. Yeah, 70. That's what I said originally. Very nice. Yeah. You're right. For, for 300 points. 300 points. <laughs> the first two albums came out in 70, and the third in 71. Yeah, they're isn't that crazy? Wow. Yeah, that's <laughs> same with those those like first four Zeppelin albums. They were yeah. like, you know, like. Yeah. What it was, 68, 69, 70. This was one of two Floyd albums in that year, too. Yeah, that's crazy. Back in the day when you could crank out more than one album a year. But yeah. you gotta get the you gotta get the album out. Yeah. yeah. That's right. You gotta have something on we the shelves for the Christmas. Sellout. <laughs> you owe it to the people. So now we are to uh, oh. part three. What do we think the title means? Narrow way, if anything. The I'm guessing way. nothing. <laughs> Reminded me of like prostatitis. <laughs> Ouch! The razor's edge or the sheltering sky. It's just narrow sort of urethra. Kind of pretentious sort of. Yes. Uh, <coughs> some sort of atlas shrugged, fountainhead kind of. Well, right. You know, who knows how much of a libertarian? Not was, rush. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's sort of this. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know. It just sounds cool. What would the narrow way be? Yes, is that like a, a Christian thing? The the straight and narrow path to Jesus and right, the, right, like the, uh, and the, the, the the path of good intentions paving hell or the whatever. fine thin line. <clears> I would like say that. listen to the lyrics right here, but you can't understand them. <laughs> maybe he's telling us what the narrow way is. Yes. But it's. Listen to Elbron. Get your thetans <laughs> tested. That is the thing about Pink Floyd, especially the earlier stuff. You always felt like you were experiencing something you couldn't quite understand. Yes, it was just out of reach. Right. Which was, you know... Could be frustrating. It but could be frustrating, but it makes for compelling music yeah, at the same time. Yeah, keeps you coming back, right, yeah. yeah. This is a little more dark side wall-ish from what I know. Yeah, maybe a little more like um, obscured by clouds. Yeah. So you have all these like personalities in this band. And they all kind of hate each other's guts, and which they're is all kind of vying for control of the same thing. And I think that's why like you know animals or dark side of the moon. Like when they were kind of all those forces were sort of in balance. They made really really oh, right, right. awesome music. music. Yeah. And but when when the scales would tip. It was no, kind of yeah. it was yeah. it was predictable. It yeah. didn't have the unpredictable element that Yeah, and I think the wall is the, the big example of that, right? Is that they it's like um not that it's bad or good. If you like it, you like it. But the point is is that that was Roger Waters. It's like the balance had shifted. Yeah, it doesn't sound like the band. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah, sounds yeah, like yeah. Roger Waters with some guys backing him up. And and as it turns out, going back, people have admitted to it. They had a lot of um yeah. um you know, other musicians on that record. Um, who was the producer? It was the uh, Bob, Bob Ezrin. Ezrin. Bob Ezrin, who right? also yeah. did music from the Elder. Who did music from the Elder, right? I am just a boy. <laughs> but also Destroyer and a lot yeah. of other stuff. You know, Alice Cooper. Right, right. So it's really him, him sort of interpreting Roger's vision, right? Yeah. You know, and, and uh, uh, it, it's it becomes less interesting ultimately, I think. Which is odd, because, you know, as a Pink Floyd newbie who knows almost nothing about them, I can't tell the four guys apart from anything. I, I, you know, 
I have to keep looking at my notes. I can't. Well, that Watch one's your the pasty Englishman. What's his name? <laughs> What's his face? What is his name? The, the other guy, Gilmore. David Gilmore. Yeah, the, David Gilmore. I have a hard time telling them apart. They look the same to me. They sound the same to me. Maybe I just need to study more. But it, Archer it always... Waters is the one that has a horse face. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I, say I, that could, I could probably that part out. <laughs> I could probably pick them out of a lineup, but you know, listening to them, I couldn't say, "Oh, well, this is definitely." This could be off of David Gilmore's solo. Solo. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Actually, yeah. I have to say, when I think when I first heard Pink Floyd when I was a teenager, I had a hard time telling Gilmore and Roger Waters' voices apart. Yeah. Well, see, you know but what? But then you like learn like, yeah. oh, all that, all yeah. that like slightly out of tune, low stuff is Roger Waters. Right. Right. Well, and that's that's. Which I like, by the way, yeah. when I say slightly attitude, because I think the way he sings is that reinforces really the w- idea, though, that they were a band. Yeah, right? you they know, worked that it wasn't, best cohesively. Right, they worked best is when they all all those parts were together, and and it doesn't, you know, you, you didn't they didn't have like a Fabian out front or a Mick yeah. Jagger so out front. Right? What they all, all most know. of them were art school students. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, they were, and, yeah, and so, think so the band was—I mean, and I think Sid was the main catalyst behind this. But they were conceived as more of an art project than a, a rock and roll band. And as they become more of a rock and roll band, they kind of start to lose like the thing that makes them cool. make some unique. Yeah, yeah. and so really interesting. Yeah, a lot of their later careers they moved more into wanting to be a big, you know, hit rock band. It's oh, like, well, when you get that first your taste thing. of success, it's <laughs> yeah. hard to say no to doing more. Yeah, but they, they held on to it for a while, and they, yeah. you know, had a few ups and downs. Where, but Pink, yeah. I mean, that Dark Side of the Moon is still one of the like best-selling records. Yeah, it was, on the, it was on the top 100 for something ludicrous. Yeah, I think it's just behind like Thriller and. The things Eagles that sell a lot are two. truly great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. I mean, well, I think I think Roger Waters. Uh, it was in one of the. It might have been in. I can't remember now where I saw this interview of him. It might have been from that. Um, you know the outtakes from the, uh, the Pompeii movie. But he essentially said he goes because uh, it had to have been after after Dark Side that he said um he goes look you know we we made it and we all had lots of money now. And it's like we were these these poor starving guys that had socialist politics and all of this, and now we're rich capitalists. And it's like <laughs> you have to accept this as this is what has happened. <laughs> this is part of right, reality. You know, this is this is reality, right? Yeah. And and uh, and and he wasn't like bemoaning it. He said they wanted this all the time. They wanted to be successful. They wanted that was always the goal to do that. Yeah. And and it's weird because they did not take a path that that. Uh, um, would lead you to believe that they would achieve that level well, of success. It seems like their their path was, oh, let's hitch our, our wagon to Sid. He'll lead of the way. Right, and then, right, yeah, yeah. And then that just went off a cliff, and they yeah. sort of... They found a genius, and he, you know... And burned him into burned, the ground. Right, exactly. <laughs> Got him enough money to, you know, fry his brain, and... <laughs> But uh, yeah, you know, he was just—he was a casualty of the '60s, right? Yeah, and I think that's part of what I really like about Pink Floyd is that they, their their main guy, went crazy at the beginning. <clears throat> they went through all these growing pains with albums like Uma Gumma. Yeah, and <laughs> sorry, I keep forgetting how I'm supposed to pronounce it. And and they managed to make Dark Side of the Moon and Animals and Wish You Were Here. And it's like, how many bands can? 
It'd be you like, know, yeah. like they, most people would have broken up like a long time ago, or maybe tried Umaguma and then gone, eh, okay, let's. Uh, yeah, if the let's get Beach my, Boys' job first the album my was keeps Pet me. Sounds, and then yeah, <laughs> and then Brian Wilson fell off the face of the earth, yeah, then yeah. you have to listen to you know Mike and Carl train piece together a career afterwards. <laughs> Is the is is Peter Green splitting from Fleetwood Mac analogous? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's well, yeah. Well, there's there's some there's something analogous there, yeah. except that that uh, you know they they uh, um, you know Mick Fleetwood and John McVie they went out and got other people to instead uh, of doing it themselves, right, yeah, doing yeah. it themselves, right? I mean, yeah, with a leftover. Yeah, I mean, yeah, David Gilmore. True. They had brought David Gilmore in while Sid was still in the band. Yeah, you know, just I was gonna yeah when you were talking, Scott was talking about the you know. The plan slide with a lighter through the tape echo being a Sid, yeah. you know, a Sid thing. When you hear Gilmore doing it, you're like, oh, he's learning. <laughs> he's 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 Sid's understudy. Yeah, he's yeah, got, yeah, he's yeah. got to learn. He's got to figure out how to I do this for play this part. Sid's too, you know, too well, trash a, to do it. <laughs> and it, it had to have been very difficult too, because one, one Sid, you know, couldn't or wouldn't show him the parts, and then two, Gilmore had more technique, and I think it, it's hard to mimic someone who's who's uniquely sloppy, yes. like yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah like self-taught to the nth yeah. degree. I tried years ago to put together a Germs tribute show, and I couldn't get a drummer to play <laughs> even close to uh, appropriate for the gig. Right, right. And, uh, Meg White was busy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> she's too. She's not as sloppy as Don. Well, it would. I suppose part three is the last part of the narrow way. So now we will go on to the drummer's part. <clears throat> The Grand Vizier's Garden Party, Part One. Entrance. Featuring, what is a Grand Vizier? Featuring his wife at <laughs> yes. the time. Oh yeah, that's playing right. the flute. He Someone who who visies. Yeah. Yes. How did he get away with that? Um. Because well, the guys have, all went home. Right? Yes. <laughs> he, yeah, he, he, he lied to them until the album had already came out. Oh yes, I've been studying the flute. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe just no one listened to his section. Like, yeah, yeah, you do your part. We'll put it on last. Now see now this this whole thing with Nick Mason's drum thing reminds yeah. me of the Richard Wright at the beginning, yeah. where he's trying to he's actually really working hard to make a cohesive piece, yeah, you know, and and again I don't think it stands up as just something I'd listen to, but if it was in a movie or a video or something, I think it it sounds very soundtracky to me, and given that it's the drummer. I think he did a pretty good job of it, you know? Yeah. I mean... I wonder how composed that flute part was and how much was... You just play something pretty for like 45 what seconds. Could, could have been so, you know, the fact that he gets the uh, royalties and she doesn't is... Well... You think he makes any royalties off of this? <laughs> well, more than I do. <laughs> so this is part two. Part two. And, you know, as a drum drummer writing a drum thing, there is a lot of... Drumming on this. <laughs> well, and this has something going on too, where the the drum is being detuned or or yes, he's doing more than just playing the drum. Timpani, he is. Right? Yeah. I assume it's a timpani through an e like a echoplex or something. Yeah. Don't, don't timpanis have? I don't know. I'm unfamiliar. Don't timpanis have pedals on them? Yeah, yes. you can tune it. So, as you so, so it, he it could be hitting it, and, yeah, 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 and, then, and then detuning it. Or. Yeah, which is why if you watch the symphony, you can sometimes see the percussionist his ear right there but doesn't it sound like it's going through a delay like yeah a there's something delay like that is going on too yeah and it's definitely being panned 
Well, yeah. um, this is definitely a stereo album <laughs> with headphones extravaganza. Vertigo. Now, see, and there's there's a bit. I forget if it's this part or the next part or whatever. But there's a part where it's like, where it just sounds like yeah. he's playing with faders and like like oh, cutting yeah. tape up. Oh, they let him into the foley closet. Uh. Yeah, or something. I don't know what he's doing. Way, cutting, but, cutting tape is a really cool thing. Yeah, well, he it, it requires some skill. Nick Mason did a lot of this. If I if I remember again my Floyd lore properly, I think that. He did a lot of the sound effects for like Dark Side of the Moon and some of those other mm. things coming up. Like he, he did a lot of the tape loop kind of stuff. Like maybe with those old clocks on time or something. Uh, I think that was um, Alan Parsons. Well, that might have been did that, but see, I, uh, I'm gonna later when I get home, I'll be like, oh, what, what was Call that? Him. What was that song that Nick Mason did the, the sound effects for? <laughs> if you know, write into us. Uh. <laughs> right into Is that the end of Bike? <laughs> That has all that weird. Oh yes. Oh yeah. All the like the clocks yeah, going yeah, off, yeah, yeah. cuckoo There's clocks like... and whatnot. So is this like that second version of Sing We All Together this from? This bit right here. Yes. So this to me sounds like, yeah. like... It's, the, it's the outtakes from the Rolling Stones. Uh... Yeah, Satanic yeah. Majesties. <laughs> Maybe they were in the studio next door. Perhaps, and he was just turning the fader on and off. <laughs> well, I want to mention this now before I forget it, but the concept for this album inspired one of my favorite albums of all time, which is uh, uh, the Minutemen's Double Nickels on the Dime. And on their setup, they gave each member of the band a side of a record with the D Boone songs being like the first side of the record. The Watt ones were the second side. Uh, Georgie's were like the first side of the second record. And then the, the last one was like covers and uh, I'll, I'll yeah. tell you, it's, it's labeled as chaff on the, on the record. But they all played together. Label, though. but they all yeah. played together, but they were songs composed by. Well, yeah. And so basically it was, it was everybody got a featured yeah. section and they, uh, you know, credit Pink Floyd and they thought that was really cool. Well, I think the idea is great. I mean, if you take the White Album and you put all of John's songs as the first 12 and all of Paul's as the second 12, you could do the same sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. With a George in between. Yeah. Yep. It's a John and Paul solo album with a George EP and a, a Ringo single. Yeah, one, Ring, yeah. one Ringo song. <laughs> yeah, what Two is that Ringo, Ringo song? song? Is that one with like the violin on it? Or There's or Don't Pass Me By. Don't Pass Me By. That's which is the first. Good so- night. And Good Night, yeah, yes. Good Night. So, which I always Don't skip. Pass Me By sounds like, it doesn't sound like it belongs on there. Well, it's the first all. song that he had ever written, so yeah. we'll give poor Ringo a pass. I don't think it's a bad song. No, it's, but. It just sounds like a hillbilly hoedown or something. <laughs> He used all three chords he knew. Yeah. <laughs> See, now we're getting into some crazy. Yeah, yeah now, now, we're now we're actually playing the drums as opposed to playing the uh, the mixing board. No cymbals. No. I sure hope the Grand Vizier's enjoying his party. 70s sounding drum oh, kit. Yeah, or like 60s, I mean. Absolutely. Like it's like flappy as hell. I and, dig that sound. And the single cymbals are dark. That's cool. That um, it's like it's like Moby Dick or something. Very similar drum sound. Same. That was '69, right? '68. '69, I think. Was a Zeppelin one. Yeah, '68. '68. Zeppelin two. Moby Dick's on Zeppelin two though. So that would have been '69. 
there's another pad I don't own in the Elmer's line. Oh, yeah. I got them all. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. I'm, I, you know, I am familiar enough so, with Led Zeppelin. Of the two bands that you go to see a laser show, Zeppelin and Pink Floyd, I assume you've never been to a laser show. I, I saw a Daft Punk laser show. Does that count? No. No, it does not. ELP, man. ELP. I saw laser Rush. That oh, seems that appropriate. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> that was cool. Ooh. So we're back to the the flute. The missus gets a, a reprise. <laughs> There's a couple of flutes here. Yes. Three at least. And how else could you end an album like this but with, you know, the drummer's with wife. wife playing <laughs> triple tracked. I think that for, I think he, I think he cheated a bit though, getting his wife on the Yeah. Album. Yeah, I was gonna say if you yeah. could hire outside help. <laughs> it's like a He's got to play that himself. What sort of yeah. shit is that? <laughs> Maybe that's where, because uh, Gilmore got his wife to write all the later Pink Floyd lyrics. There you go. Maybe that's where he got yeah. the idea. Now, I did I did read somewhere that Floyd wanted to put out a big live album. Yeah. And, and the record company was like, no, you need a studio album. And um, mm. this was... Their compromise? Of, this was how this was their compromise, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we like, don't have any material, so we'll just... Uh, well, no one was writing songs. That's why they had to divvy yeah, yeah. it up like this. So what comes out right after this? What was their next album? This uh, Adam Hart Mother, I Adam think. Adam Hart Mother, yeah. And that was with a big orchestra. Yeah. Or orchestra in London, I guess. Uh, and a choir. It had a choir. Yeah. That's a weird album. I like I like Adam Hart Mother. I have that, but the, the there's something weird about the orchestra side. It's like they're out of time or out of tune or something. It's very... Um, it's... It's another one of those things yeah. where the ambition was far greater than the the execution. Yes. Although I think the track Adam Hart Mother is more successful than anything. Oh else. yeah, yeah. No, I think it, yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. And Adam Hart Mother it's also more, has that yeah. Alan's psychedelic breakfast track right, on right, it, yeah, which yeah. is which is a, a guy making in, breakfast. Yeah, yeah and with you're the like, frying eggs in line with that, this yeah. album, which is you know ninety percent sound effects and three yeah. percent. No, no, I think it, I think it's way more successful. I just think it, it wasn't executed, you know. But yeah. then again, if you're gonna hire yeah. a full orchestra, whatever it was, a sixty piece orchestra, it's like a. You probably don't have a lot of opportunities to get it right. No, they they had a half an hour with them. Yeah, and, and, and nobody knew a, how to notate. And uh, <laughs> on YouTube recently, because I I'm a big Pink Floyd geek, I did find live footage of Pink Floyd playing Adam Hart Mother with, oh, nice. with an orchestra and a choir, and it was awesome. Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> I thought I, it was way better than the version on the. Yeah, on the no, album. I think it's I think it was it was great, and also what I really liked about it. You know, looking back on it, you know, again as a teenager, I don't know if I really wanted to hear orchestra music, but but you know, but um, what I like about it is it wasn't a pop song with some syrupy strings added yesterday to, to make it yeah to make it you know more palatable for or whatever. It was um it was actually a, a composed piece of music yeah. that required an orchestra to you know to make it happen. So, um, I dug it. Yeah. But more than this, but but again, you know, I, I agree with you, Rick. I think this this is like foreshadowing. It's like, a, what are we going to do next? Well, it, yeah. it's the audition piece. It's like, no. you know, who's going to take control? And yeah, and, and in that way, I, I made their presentation, their their PowerPoint slides. Here's what I would do: lots of flutes and drum solos. <laughs> and they're like, next. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, maybe we should try to write songs together. Hmm, what an yeah. odd idea. <clears throat> with our powers combined, we're like Voltron. <laughs> and, and I think they would. A lot of their, um, 
a lot of their stuff that that w- would be written live. I mean, not yeah. literally, but I mean, they'd come up with a song, they'd play it fifty Often times enough, yeah. on the road, and then it would turn into something that they were satisfied with, and then mm-hmm. they'd go about recording it. Well, like Dark Side of the Moon, you apparently can play with uh, Wizard of Oz. Mm. I wonder if you played all four parts of this together, you would have a good Pink Floyd. Oh, at the EP. same time. Yes. Mm. Well, oh, I thought you were going to say if we so. tracked it up with Human Centipede or something. <laughs> well, everything <laughs> goes with Human Centipede. All right, Matt. In editing, put yeah. all the tracks together, hit play, then turn it off immediately. That's yeah. going to drive me nuts. <laughs> yeah, that might be that might be Metal Machine music. Pretty close to. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's how Lou made it. That's, that's how Lou did it. Now, normally I would ask, you know, is this a good place to start for fans of Pink Floyd? But since I am starting for Pink Floyd well, here. Well, what do you think? I don't want to listen to anything else they ever did. <laughs> the, um, even the so, live so you, album. So you think this is the pinnacle? You just love yeah. this? Like, they can't get Even the live album, I was like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, these songs would be much better if they were about half as long. <laughs> so that careful with that axe, Eugene. Though I love, I love them all. All man. those yeah. tracks are on on uh, uh, metal or what those those tracks? Yeah, no, no the, the live like ones. No, they're off of um, uh, Saucer the, the first two. Piper, Piper. Piper at the gates. Piper, okay, Piper. Piper. Yeah, yeah, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the live versions are in a couple of cases superior to the. Yeah, I always you know, like, like these versions better than great. the album. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then and then uh, you know Scott, your your band, the Inactivists, did do a a very healthy version of Astronomy Domine, and uh, I thought you did a great job of it for a guy who never was into the Pink Floyd. Well, yeah, I do, I do my job. So I guess a good song's a good song. Yeah. Yeah. Second to the Inactivist cover is the Voivod cover. You should check that. Oh, out. Oh yeah, that's yeah. badass. <laughs> the best metal based tone ever. But um. Um, well, what about the rest of us? Do we think this is a good jumping-off point, or is this the last one you go to? Eh, no, I don't know. Whatever, it's okay. If you really like, say, Wall and Dark Side, and you want to get into Sid Barrett, is this a good way to sort of ease yourself into it? I think with Sid Barrett, you just dump jump in the deep end. <laughs> You're yeah. either in or out. Yeah, you just put on Piper at the gates of dawn and. See see what happens. Yeah. Or, you or, see or Emily Cap play. Cap yeah, the Mad Cap laughs. Yeah, yeah. If that scares you off, just don't go any farther. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a, uh, to me. If, if you're if you dig what Pink Floyd is all about, the the live stuff is is great because it's a document of what the band sounded like at the time. I think. I mean, this album's yeah. important for continuity in the history of yeah. the band. Like it, it it's yeah. a if you it, it connects to- a dot. Yeah, but as far as listenability, you know, it's like I don't know if you're doing dishes or something. Maybe it's all right. <laughs> if you're watching a, a silent film listen that to, doesn't have a soundtrack, yeah, listen to Sun Ra. It's like this record, but like way cooler. It's like a well, this wasn't what they were meant to do, so they did yeah. it pretty well for you know. Yeah. But yeah, and it's like how did you know? It just amazes me. I think it's also a testament to the the '60s and the record industry as it existed at the time. I mean, recording time was pretty precious. Yeah, and, and, tape was, and, and the fact that they would you know be like expensive. this yeah. weird <laughs> this expensive. weird hippie band you know whose leader like, had just it yeah. just died. It's like yeah, his... like we'll give them a whatever. We'll yeah, give them yeah. a chance. We'll give them like four we'll albums them to figure it out. Yeah. And, and you know what? They don't. They don't really hit. 
the big time, as it were, in terms of the gravy train until um, a Dark Side of the Moon, they tolerated these guys for a long time. Yeah, yeah, so, that was so, what seventy four. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. they um, they had a lot of um, somehow <laughs> patience, or they, they had a lot of patience, and and they had a lot of cachet with um, whomever. Yeah, you know, blackmail we, photos, right? <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, four albums later was Dark Side of the Moon. So, so yeah, yeah. yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's just uh, it's quite it's quite startling because you just don't see that. I mean, I guess you might see it today because people are are uh, so self produced now. Well, yeah, it, it requires nothing to record Amagama. Right, right. But, yeah, but um, you don't have massive millions. You, you know, don't have bo- yeah. like bottomless money behind you to promote you. Yeah, in every whatever way record and, company and pressing out. thousands and pawn thousands of final copies of you know your drummer's wife's flute noodling. <laughs> You sound like you don't you really dig the Pink Floyd, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are worse bands. <laughs> Hooba Stank. Um. <laughs> I, 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 did take, <laughs> I, I did take more apathy than disdain, oh, but exactly. maybe there's <laughs> Yeah, they're not actively annoying, like, say, Hooba Stank. <laughs> Yeah, I was just uh, watching, you know, I'm sure most of you are aware, if not all of you are aware of that uh, that now famous t-shirt that Johnny Rotten wore that said... Um, he the had same a, one that Scott's wearing right, right now. Right, Scott's wearing right now. It says <laughs> yeah. Pink Floyd, and he wrote, um, I hate on top of it, right? And, uh, Ooh, rebel. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, uh, yeah, well, you know, at the time, I guess it, it was. was. Is, is that it's the actual a, sk- shirt, Scott? <laughs> yes. I took it off his... <laughs> But curiously enough, <laughs> uh, apparently, apparently, belongs uh, in a museum. Apparently, David Gilmore ran into Johnny Lydon, and he said it was, uh, you know, he thought it was cool. Well, there you <laughs> go. You know. David was he was feeling the same way at the time, yeah, probably. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah I, I feel you, man. <laughs> oh man. Well, yeah, they are. Um, yeah, I think they are the the. I wouldn't say the pinnacle of, but. But they, they definitely, you know, I don't know if pretension is the right word. Because I don't yeah, know they're, if they they're were pretending, but they definitely were not. Um, they were willing to, to go and and make themselves fools. Right, yeah. exactly. And yeah. I do appreciate that. I would say there's a certain amount of pretension in Pink Floyd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, which I can appreciate. Yeah, pretension you know? shouldn't I mean, necessarily be bad. Yeah. You have to try. I mean, if you're going to make an album called Animals that's based off a George Orwell book, I mean... Yeah, inevitably. Well, and if if the yeah, concept right. doesn't outrun the execution every once in a while, then you're you're probably not trying very hard. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> then you yeah. might as well just be ACDC. And if yeah. it wasn't just for put the same album out every if year. wasn't for Uma Gumma, we wouldn't have animals and Dark Side of the Moon and and Echoes, the Wall, yeah. and 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 metal. several species of small furry animals and <laughs> all, all those several species of small. The Endless River and... Uh, <laughs> yeah, they shouldn't have put out The Endless River. The Endless River, huh? I'm, I'm, I, I just never heard of it. It's, yeah, they took uh, Richard Wright's tracks I, after he I died. My, my, uh, my, here's my whine of the moment. This yes. is why I, I've disparaged Pink Floyd, is that, that when I finally heard this story, what was the album that they came out with after Waters left the band when they reformed? Um, oh, that was um, the division bell. Was that it? No, or, it was uh, the. Uh, hold on, I have it a momentary lapse. A momentary lapse of reason. Yeah, you know, I found out after the after you know long after the fact that it was in it was in fact 
David Gilmore's <clears throat> next solo album. He had done one a few years before, which I have. It was actually pretty good. The hitchhiking uh, one? No, it was um it was called About Face, I think. Ah. But but anyway, um it was um you know, so David the hitchhiking was Waters, I think. Pros but, uh, again, David, can't David, tell them apart. David Gilmore. <laughs> anyway, this was his next solo album. The first one didn't <clears throat> sell very well. Yeah. So he or whomever got the idea, well, let's put Pink Floyd name on it. Mm. There you and, go. And so, so they, the, so in order to get the name on it, he had to get the other guys in the band. And so he got he got Wright and Mason to come aboard. They're not even on the freaking album. They just but showed they, up for they the just photo showed shoot up so that they could basically win the lawsuit and yeah. get rights to the name. Well, there you go. And, and so, so it was basically just you know like. We have this gravy train. We want to stay on it. We're going to grab this name and put it on there, right? And so it's like, you know, looking back on it, I'm like, no wonder it didn't sound like Pink Floyd. It wasn't. There it really go. wasn't, right? And so it came. It became something else. And I know some people really, really like that music. I just, I just, um, I haven't been able to listen to it. it just, I uh, could see that. It'd maybe be like maybe it, Sid just made out the me. best of all of them. Yeah, know? yeah, maybe he did. <laughs> Well, well, that's why. Well, okay, I got to tell one Sid Barrett story, right? Oh, this is this is this is apocryphal, but uh, apparently, when they're recording "Wish Wish You Were Here," he shows up and he's he's fat and bald, and um, they didn't recognize him at first. And they asked him. Apparently, they said, "Sid, Sid, what's what's happened to you?" And he said, "Well, he goes, I have a very large freezer." And I've been eating a lot of pork chops. That and, is news. And I thought that was <laughs> what else do you need to that know? Was that. That was the perfect That's a answer. good life. Yes. <laughs> so, he also had his eyebrows shaved, which yeah, yeah, is where they a, got the idea for the for pink in the oh, movie. Oh, for, for in the movie. Yeah, uh, the, Bob Geldof shaved you know, his for, eyebrows for a, off. For a guy who was only in the band for an album and a half, he had a lot of influence for years. Yeah. 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 yeah it's pretty traumatizing of, to those guys. One of a kind, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that'll probably, uh, I guess, wrap it up. Um, do you want to tell people where they can find you on the interwebs? Who, me? Yes, you. Um, Special guest star. Uh, well, I'm in three tribute bands right now, because that's the, apparently the cool thing to do right now. Well, there you Denver. go. Mr. Know-It-All and Prim- uh, Primus tribute band. Very bass-centric. Yes. Oxycodone. Which is a tribute to morphine. Very bass centric. <laughs> and then I play keyboards in a Cars tribute band called Double Life. Well, that's oh nice. Just not bass centric. Cool. Not bass centric, but probably easier to book. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's weird to see like people dance to the band that you're playing in. It's it's a new experience for me. I I wouldn't yeah. know what you're talking yeah, about. No, it's really strange. Primus gets some dancing. Yeah, yeah. They, they get more like, like like jumping up and down and banging into each other, but jump around. <laughs> well, the cars they were famous for playing a lot in eleven eight, right? And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. They're they're notorious for their crazy time signatures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. None of that four four shit in the cars, man. Oh no, you know you gotta have five wheel drive. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Is there anything else we need to plug? Again, I you think know, we're happy. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, oh. rate, review, subscribe. I was going to say you don't have to plug them. They have tons of oh, yeah, money. <laughs> if you've heard of this Facebook thing, man, it's like Friendster, only new. <laughs> it's Friendster. Well, that'll do it for us this week, and I guess tune in next week when we try and figure out who this is.
every day. Don't smoke the seeds, no way. Smoke the weed, hey. Smoke the weed. Younger generation, boys and girls. Be careful of the seeds you show. If you want to see a strong tree grow, you got to prepare for the future. Show respect.